I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast with me, Tally Rye. This is the podcast that helps you have a feel-good relationship with fitness, food and body image. Now, before we get into today's episode, I do have an announcement to make. We are taking a hiatus of the Train Happy podcast. I have absolutely adored doing this podcast for the past three years. We have so many episodes now. We are in the hundreds. Um, But I think it's really important that I take a break over the summer and come back with renewed energy and ideas and content for you. So this will be the last episode before our summer break. And I am so thrilled that this week I get to talk to Louise Green in person. Now, if you have been an OG listener of this podcast, you know that Louise came on. She was guest on episode five of this podcast. It was the first podcast I recorded in lockdown via Zoom. The audio is terrible, but the content I felt was still really good. I, you could tell I listened back. You could tell I had a lot to learn in terms of still talking to people, interviewing people, but Louise was fantastic. And so as she's based in Canada, when I knew she was coming to London, I had to make sure I got to speak to her in the studio. And I'm thrilled we got to connect in person because What Louise is doing is truly groundbreaking in the fitness space. She is championing inclusive, size-inclusive fitness, creating the Size Inclusive Training Academy. She has written several books about inclusive personal training and plus-size training, and she is really leading the way in this space. And I am so honored that we got to chat because I, I think there is so much synergy an alignment in what we do and our values and I'm just yeah as you may can tell I could use every single descriptive word I just love chatting to Louise she is fab but of course before we get into that we have to hear from this week's train happy trooper of the week now this week's train happy moment came in via message and they said I'm so happy to be sharing this train happy moment. I'd love listening to your podcast as it has helped me move from exercise for punishment to exercise for enjoyment. So for my train happy moment, I recently found out I'm pregnant, which has been the happiest surprise. However, already there feels like a lot of pressure to be active during my pregnancy so that as a mum to be, I don't gain too much weight. But instead, I followed your guidance and really listened to my body every hour of every day. There's some days where I will go for a walk, some days where I will go for a swim, and some days where I will just rest on the sofa with some snacks because that's what my body needs. I remove the pressure to train hard and keep reminding myself my body is working hard to make big changes and so it's okay to rest. I always worried about how my body would change through this time, but I've never been more proud. I adore reading that train happy moment. I think that just goes to show the mindset shift you can make when you really focus on a an intuitive, caring, kind, compassionate relationship with movement and most importantly with your body. And I haven't been pregnant. That's never been something I have experienced. And yet I externally, I see the pressure that is put on pregnant uh, people to be super fit or super healthy and do everything and blah, 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 blah. Like I can imagine it's so much. And yet the best thing you could always do in any situation is listen to your body because your body knows what it needs best. 
And so I love that this person is honoring their desire to move, but also equally honoring their desire to rest and not feeling judgment about either of those things. That's that's the, the great part. The the level of neutrality about it, I think, is so healthy and so cool to hear. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Of course, we are taking a break with the podcast. And so we're going to take a little break with the train happy moments. But if you have a train happy moment to share with us, get in touch on Instagram. You can send us a DM to our Instagram at train happy podcast and send us your train happy moment there. We would love to hear from you. Okay, enough from me. Let's get into this chat with Louise Green, because I'm telling you now, it's a good one. And I think you will love Louise. Louise, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> welcome to the UK. Thank you. We've made it into the studio. I dragged you off your personal holiday to come in because I was so determined to meet you and have you on the podcast in person. So I am thrilled. Thrilled. I mean, we. <laughs> I feel like we we know each other. I know. Yeah. I know. We do. Yeah, we do know each um, other. We have had you on the podcast before. That was the first episode in, that I recorded in lockdown. The sound quality on my end is horrific and you sounded great and you were full of amazing knowledge and I would highly recommend everyone to go back and listen to that but that was in that was like the fifth episode I ever did of this podcast oh wow and now we're in definitely in the hundreds we've done a lot three years later we've done a lot of episodes and I'm so happy to have you back and to kind of check in with all the things you have done in the last three years because you've been busy I have been busy you so last time we spoke one of the things you were doing is you were writing your second book um 50 exercises for everyone yep that came out that's doing great yes and you i feel like the ball has kept rolling and all the things we were talking about in terms of creating a more inclusive fitness industry you have also just been to task yes so i think like yourself started out as a trainer and then realized through that, that there's kind of a bigger picture here. There's a bigger story going on. And so I've kind of moved in the direction of creating education and consulting for brands that want to be more inclusive. And, you know, really educating our fitness professionals on, you know, we have different specialized populations that we have certifications for pre and postnatal third age in Canada. I don't know if you have that in the UK, where you're working with aging adults. And I specifically thought that people that live in larger bodies, they don't need specialized treatment, but they need, there needs to be some informed information for trainers to work with this population solely based on the lived experience that they have dealing with weight bias on a daily basis. Yeah, I I think I'm really interested in that because like you say, there's this line between as a fitness professional wanting to work with someone in a larger body and not immediately make assumptions about that they're a complete beginner or they can't do X, they can't do Y and also accommodating a body that will move differently in some aspects to say my body. So I mean, it's so interesting that you have created this course and it's really infiltrating the mainstream. I see you're in universities, you're on as part of the kind of course options for like the leading personal training qualifications in the US and Canada. Yep. What is the difference of the size inclusive model than say a traditional course? What, what, are the additions that we do need to be thinking about as fitness professionals? Well, I don't know if you feel the same way, but where in North America, the certifications and the kind of vibe of the fitness culture in general is Mm anti-fatness. So the, the, the goal typically, and even in our certification process, you know, if Bob is X number of weight or, and has diabetes, you know, what's the plan for Bob? And we'd have these case studies and it would be a weight loss plan. Like it would be try to expend as many calories as possible. Um, so it's very anti-fatness. And so just even that in of itself, when you go into a space fat is, can be such a barrier for people because the whole vibe of the place, the whole ethos of the business is to not look like you. So 
I'm trying to let individuals and, and companies know, gym chains know what that does to a person when they walk into a space and it's assumed that they are there to lose weight. And it's assumed, like you say, that they're in, they're new. It's their first rodeo. They've, they don't know what they're doing. They need nutritional advice. When my experience has shown me that most people in fat bodies have more nutritional advice than the general population because they've tried for so long to not be fat based on the culture that we live in. So that's the first thing is moving away from that anti-fatness model. It's not about that. It's about moving. And frankly, fitness professionals really have no place in giving nutritional advice unless they're certified Mm -hmm. to do so. Same in the UK. Yeah. So why are we kind of working on this anti-fatness ethos if people aren't even qualified to give nutritional advice? Because exercising to thinness is very difficult. So it does need nutritional information. So anyway, that is kind of like moving away from that and and kind of working from a weight neutrality position, which is what I believe people should do. Get people moving, get them to enjoy it, get them to harness the power that they feel in their body, to experience the self-confidence that they'll feel, and all the other amazing benefits that exercise has that is not about losing weight. I feel the exact same way because as you say, I think the weight loss model is so short-sighted for people because you're either training for that goal and you achieve that goal and then what? Yeah. I think so many people go, well, I did it. I don't have to do it anymore because I did it and that we're good. Or you aim to achieve that goal because we know that for the vast majority of people, you can't reach that goal or maintain that goal long-term. You then feel extremely disheartened and then think, well, I tried exercise, it didn't work. So then I might as well not exercise because it's not fun. It's quite painful. I'm exhausted and it didn't get me the results I wanted. So why bother? Yeah. And I think that's where I meet so many people through my work with working with these people who have had these negative experiences Mm -hmm. that I know you talk about a lot and have heard so many stories of who feel like they tried everything. It didn't work. So they feel so disheartened and disillusioned, understandably so with fitness, that it's actually about, like you say, helping people discover their own intrinsic reasons to move that are far beyond the fitness industry's obsession with body transformations. Yeah. Um, And I, I think that I believe that is a huge part of the key to helping people move, you know, for the long term consistently. And I think you are doing so much work to help trainers realize that. So it's really, really cool. Um, Okay, so the Size Inclusive Training Academy for trainers who are listening, but for general population, you let's talk just a bit about why you wanted to create it in the first place and where you've grown and built it and like I said you're in universities you're in um the key the key training programs in the U.S. for trainers how did this idea become a reality because that's what everyone wants to know well I think after work you know I've been doing this work now for 17 years and I think I was telling people to go into spaces and and try to find size inclusive places for them to work out and realizing that that was really difficult for people to find unless we went to the people and worked down from the top. And that's where I realized there really wasn't any education for people to, you know, better equip themselves to create size inclusive spaces. So it was after working with this audience for a long time that I realized this isn't really going to happen unless we change our culture. And in order to do that, we need to work from the top down and, and start certifying people as trainers. Um, and it was something that I talked about doing for a very long time, but the scope of, you know, the chunk of work that it took was a lot. And so I had a team of three or four of us working on it for over a year and we created this curriculum and, um, you know, It's been well received, but it feels like to me, it's being received by people who were already bought in. Interesting. Yeah. What do you mean by that? And what do you want to do with that? How do you want to reach the people that are still skeptical? So 
Yeah, and most people that sign up, they're, you know, they're doing like trauma informed work, or they're doing, you know, eating disorder work, or they were already, you know, really championing, championing the message of size inclusivity. And so, you know, we we go to gyms all the time, chain gyms and big, big uh, organizations. And response time is very lacking. And, you know, we're trying to we're trying to work our way into these organizations in a way because what I think is happening is people don't know what they don't know yeah. until they don't until they know it. And so I, if that makes any sense, like I think truly people think, well, everyone can come to our gym. There's no, you know, we don't tell people they, they can. And to them, that means that they're being size inclusive. And that's enough. Yeah. And it stops there. Yeah. But it doesn't. No. Because you have no idea what your trainers are saying on the floor. You have no idea how much weight bias they carry in their own lives and how that translates into their services delivered. I say it often on this podcast, and I do truly believe it from my experience working in gyms, working with other trainers. We all bring so much of our own stuff into the job. And so much of that stuff for people is based around their own weight loss story and the belief that if they can do it, you can do it too. And because they did it, they can help you do it. Um, And so I think, as you say, not necessarily knowing what people are saying on the gym floor, well, they're asking them about their food. They're Mm -hmm. making assumptions that, you know, oh, they must want to lose weight or whatever else. I had one of my clients recently who I work with, with um intuitive movement and she was saying she goes to a pilates instructor and does one-to-ones and her pilates instructor commented on her body and said wow i can see you know i think you've lost weight and she actually got really upset about this Mm -hmm. and found it really triggering because she's really trying not to be in that mindset and think in that mindset but yet that trainer just thought that that's what she wanted to hear because of course, isn't that what everyone wants to yeah. hear? So it's these assumptions that they bring into that space that actually isn't inclusive because it doesn't, con- it assumes that everyone is there for one reason and one reason only. And you know, that's the tough part, isn't it? Yeah. Don't you find that though on a daily basis? Like whenever I'm mm. out and about in the world, it's it's constant. These little like innuendos all the time about body and or people like talking negatively about their body or, oh, I just want to trim, you know, like there's just this like, particularly among females that is just like this constant verbiage that's going on. I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but where I come from, I just because I'm so, um, you know, hyper aware of this conversation, whereas people it's so normative for people that they don't think anything of it. And it's something that we've just accepted. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think if I'm with any situation, probably outside of my close friends are all very on board with this way of thinking and I feel really lucky with that but certainly extended family um you know I was at an event last night there was definitely comments people were making or just little things and sometimes I'll have the strength to maybe say something other times I just let it wash over me because I'm not going to engage but that's your thing that's not my thing how do you deal with it how do you navigate these things because especially people in your life I'm sure they they know what you do they know what you stand for they know what your work is do you feel yeah. like there's still <laughs> like a bit of a there's still conflict you know like I still have fairly good friends that will say okay I'm t- I'm trying this uh you know intermittent fasting or, or every time I see this particular person it's like this new thing and it's like you do know what I do for a living right like you do know have I don't you read my book. <laughs> Have you listened to my podcast? Like, what about me says, tell me your weight loss regime? Like, yes. I don't know it. Like, I don't get it. But it's still, I think that this particular person is trying to get my approval. Like, what do you think? And the answer is always the same. Yeah, you will lose weight. You you may not keep it. Are you going to intermittent fast for the rest of your life? Is that in your plan? Because if you are, then it's not my cup of tea but you know like I don't I don't 
I just want to be free of it. Mm -hmm. I did it for so long. It's exhausting. I remember, you know, kind of close to the end of my own diet culture journey where I was like, I can't keep this up. Oh, and I and I surrounded myself with very thin women. And I was trying to be a part of this. And like my my ancestors are Vikings. Like there's no way. Like there's no way I'm going to be that. Um and and I don't want to be that now. But back then that's all I wanted. I I all that's all I wanted was mm. to just be thin and to not have to worry about, you know, calories and eating and you know, that whole preoccupation. I think anyone that can release that from themselves is a true gift. Do you think a lot of people feel that, you know, if they do achieve that elusive dream body, that then they'll not be able to think about calories, that then they'll finally be free of all of that stress and worry and self-hatred and all of that, that, that that's what they're craving rather than and, and the way you're treated, because you are you you are treated differently in a smaller body, do you think that that's a big part of it? That the idea of just turning that sound off, that noise off in your brain. I I don't know that that's what people are seeking. I think what they're seeking is the fair treatment and to be desirable and lovable mm. and valuable and and all of that and and to have the people around them's approval because a lot of a lot of people I work with have have lived in with mothers that are mm. constantly on them about you know and I try to remind people that you know it's generational you know and that's where we need to really be mindful if you're parenting a boy or a girl um you know m- my son is really lean and I even try to like I try really hard don't talk about his body yeah like, full stop yeah like regardless of because i think that's the thing people think oh well don't talk about um bigger bodies yeah don't mention that but actually just talking about bodies full yeah. stop it, like if we just don't draw attention to it yeah it's not a thing yeah and also you know when you're talking about a body and commenting and uh you know giving people approval oh you look great like you know that's something i hear when if i you know i'm training for something and i composition changes wow you look great and it's like well that's not what I'm trying to achieve and therefore in that one comment you're letting me know that a leaner body is more valuable yes and so when we're constantly commenting or complimenting on leaner bodies then that's the message that you're giving to the world that I believe that a leaner body is more valuable and more attractive and that is the insidious nature of before and after photos, isn't it? That is the, because I mean, it's not cool now to say, here's this incredible weight loss transformation thing. It's often about, here's these two photos side by side. One of them's a bigger body, one of them's a smaller body. And we're really happy about the smaller body, but it's not about that. It's about a different kind of transformation. But just the imagery alone tells us everything that we need to know that one body is valued more than the other. Yeah. And I think we really need to define from the client side and from the trainer side what working means. Yeah. Because even to the client, you know, I've had so many people say this isn't working for me. What do you what how do you define working? What do you define success as? And on the flip side of the business, you know, if we show fat bodies, this is where it gets tricky for people, then they're afraid. I think there's a risk there, whether it be, you know, a big sporting brand or a gym, that it may look like our services don't work. It may look like our product doesn't work. So we have to redefine what working means. And I think that we're coming from such the age of mental health, that we've got to move away from the aesthetics and focus on what truly working means for people. The mental health benefits, the physical benefits, you know, feeling more mobile, feeling uh, just fitter in general, going being able, being able to go about your life and knowing that you have the strength and fitness to say yes to things, to doing yeah. things with friends, going on that walk, going on that hike, you know, going in the sea, feeling comfortable. I think that stuff is truly impacting people's lives. And yet, like you say, the fitness industry is set up to sell a dream and to tell you that they have the products to help you achieve that. And probably 95% of the industry is selling 
weight loss. I mean, that is a statistic I completely pulled from my head, but I would stand by it. Like it's a pretty good one. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right that I think that is the, the resistance, isn't it? To the fitness industry from changing to, from a very uh, weight loss focused industry to becoming weight neutral and to thinking about more of the holistic benefits. The resistance is, well, hang on a second. All of our marketing, our whole business model is built around these people achieving this before and after transformation, even if it's not explicit, but that that is the product that people are buying. Yeah. How do we then sell holistic health and well-being? I personally think you can do it and I I know you can do it because I've done it in my business and I've known other people that have done it in their businesses and have been really successful because people actually want to train with someone who doesn't make them feel shit about themselves, quite honestly. Yeah. But I know that through the course you're doing that a lot of the questions you're getting from people are, okay, Louise, love your work, but how do I turn this into a profitable business model? What are your thoughts about that? I really think that people are missing the mark. And if we were more representative, like rather than being afraid to show larger bodies or diverse bodies, uh, different abilities, different ages, Mm. you know, that it's not going to speak to this isn't working. It's going to speak to you are welcome. We Mm. see you. We serve you. We know how to serve you. And it's actually going to bring more people in the door. I think what the industry thinks is going to happen is not what's going to happen. And I know that through my own business. You know you know that through your own business. We both have great successful businesses based on providing inclusive spaces. People are hungry for it. They really want to see themselves. There's so much of a fitness uh, untapped market for people because I think right now the fitness industry is appealing to certain people, but how many people fall through the gaps of that and how many people are there not engaging with fitness not being in perhaps a gym environment a fitness class environment because they don't feel seen because they don't feel welcome because they don't feel like they belong and what you're saying and what I a thousand percent agree with is that if people can see themselves then they want to be there they want to do it and you know it goes beyond even body size it's race it's gender it's ability it's age It's all these things. Um, I I mentioned in the podcast that we did together before the This Girl Can campaign in the UK. I Mm -hmm. think it's one of the things that does inclusivity extremely well. Um, And that has been hugely successful. So why can't people see that we have evidence to say that this works? Yeah. Um, And yet, like I said, there's still resistance. However, you're, you're doing great. I know you have brought this into universities uh, and I saw that you had posted online and said, well, this next generation, they get it. Yeah, they do. They they already get it. Yeah. But there's an existing industry here that doesn't. Yeah. Do you feel hopeful for that next generation that they, they're going to be the ones to be like, yeah, this should be standard. This should be normal. I really do. Um, I have been speaking at a couple of universities in the United States and I was really taken back by the people in the classrooms and I was really hopeful and and happy that that is who is. And plus there's there's studies now, like this course that I spoke at was literally just called fat studies. Like it was mm. it was all about, you know, discrimination and the barriers that people face in larger bodies. And so even the education is starting to infiltrate into the system. I think what has happened with the current fitness industry, and maybe it's the same here, but in the United States, the gatekeepers are 70% white men. And so I'm not saying anything negative about white men, but I'm saying what do what where is the commonality in the lived experience between that um, identity to people, say, a 50 year old woman who's, you know, 300 pounds, who has never been active in their life that wants to, you know, get into the gym and, and find better fitness. And so I think that there's this gap in not understanding the lived experience, and therefore catering, you know, kind of under an old school model, that is still being very exclusive. Of course, they don't understand the lived experience 
you know i i think but i also think that so many men in that position don't understand that they don't have that lived experience exactly that they go well you know it's this is how i see the world and we all see the world this way surely yeah it's like no no we don't yeah <laughs> we need to hear pe- different people's perspectives you mentioned you already have people signing up to the course who already get it yeah but most of those people that get it are women too yes that there's only like a handful of guys who have done your course there's like three yeah three <laughs> We've spoken to a couple of people on here. It's yeah. hard to find them. Yeah. I don't know. I want to kind of like think out loud with you on this one. Is it because we, as women, we're more open to talking about our bodies, our vulnerabilities around that? I know on social media, if we think around the discourse around things like the body positivity movement, around body image, around diet culture, the leading voices are women yeah. is that because it has always affected us more is it because we're more open to talking about it what are your thoughts on why it is such a an area dominated by women rather than an industry the fitness industry being dominated by men okay so this is going to get political get but- political <laughs> go for it we love um, that i think the majority of the world is seen through the gaze of a, of a man Mm-hmm. So that's the advertising's created by mostly men. If you look at the statistics behind ad creatives, they're, you know, I think it's like 80% men are creative directors. And so the visual landscape that we see on the on the tube, on the bus, all of it is is mostly created by men. And so the world is seen very much through the male gaze, which I don't know that the male gaze wants to see necessarily larger women. You know, I'm looking at the the gym chains that I've been trying to infiltrate. And I'm like, why can't we get through to them? Why can't we? Why wouldn't they want to be inclusive? Why wouldn't they want to tap into this enormous market in the United States? It's enormous. It's the majority of the market. And I thought, well, maybe it's because the gatekeepers are men. And they don't not even consciously, maybe subconsciously, don't want to open up the door because there is a lot of fat phobia around, you know, if if we if we allow people to get fat, what are we going to do with the world, right? Like, you know, it's like the fat people are going to take over. It's it, there's this phobia. And I, I just, you know, I, I tend to look at the the politics around what is actually happening here. And I and I tend to believe that it's there's constraints on what we will allow by the gatekeepers. If we allow these people in these spaces, then it completely undermines our whole vision, our whole idea of what it means to be fit of, and you know why we should be fit because we should be thin, we should be attractive, we should you know have that appeal. You know it's so many people thinking why are you not having people in large bodies on your magazine covers you know women's health men's health and they're like oh well people just don't find it aspirational it's like no you don't find yeah. it aspirational because you have decided what is okay and what isn't okay and what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable and what's desirable and what isn't desirable we do know that men are affected by this absolutely more so even as you know now Yes, I I think so. And we've had some really interesting conversations in, you know, this year on the podcast with men and just, you know, the pressure of, you know, it's the pressure of being the alpha male, the big guy with the muscles and looking like the rock. And then the women have to be the kind of petite damsel in distress mm-hmm. energy <laughs> and don't, isn't that just yeah. it in a nutshell? That yeah. That's, that's what gym culture wants us, the wants either men or women to be and I mean god forbid that there's that gender isn't binary in the fitness space like that's that's even more mind-blowing isn't it (laughs) um you're right this is a symptom of a greater political issue hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, so if I've had a mare today, I was on my way to record an episode of Loose Lips and realized we need to make that promo. A promo? Why? What do we need to say? Maybe mention that we have a main episode out every Tuesday where we discuss all the things that influence women trying to figure life out. Okay, yeah, yeah, good idea. And we offer our pretty unsolicited advice on a Friday where we do our extra lippy episode. All the listeners send in their dilemmas and stories. Oh yeah, and we're not great at it, are we? Talk for yourself, I'm pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Get in touch with us with your dilemmas at looselips at createproductions.com. If you like this podcast, you'll love our one. Just search Loose Lips wherever you get your podcast and hit follow we certainly need your course here in the uk for sure um there's definitely a lack of education around what it means to truly be inclusive and size inclusive just gyms having towels that fit people's bodies like it's starting with those things of going oh i'm not gonna be here and just there's all these little reminders of Mm -hmm. this place doesn't accommodate me what are the maybe there's like three key things that should be considered that people can start doing tomorrow to make a space feel more inclusive make a fitness environment feel more inclusive i think it's really important if you are in a gym space to talk to people in larger bodies to understand their lived experience in the curriculum that we've developed we have quite a few interviews with people that talk about their lifelong history of going into gym spaces and really understanding like how difficult that's been for them and in fact the industry of itself is one of the major barriers for them So think about that, right? Like really think about that. The industry itself is the first major barrier for people to to get healthy. Like it's ridiculous. The second is be mindful of space when you've got treadmills packed in together and spin bikes and and all of those things. You know, it's a big barrier to even go into the space. But if you're struggling to get onto equipment because your body doesn't fit, then you know, there's already this feeling of I don't fit here. Um, I don't want to be here. Make it comfortable so that people can maneuver. So we talk a lot about space in one of the modules and how to set up a gym and small things like you say, when when you bring them into the, you know, the room to sit down and have a conversation about their goals or whatever. Don't assume what their goals are listen to the individual. You know, that was the number one piece of advice that our people that we interviewed, like, just listen to the individual. And to me, that was such common sense. Mm. Oh, wow, just listen to them. Well, that's kind of the thing. But also be mindful that the chairs have, you know, that people can sit in the chair, that they're, you know, don't have arms on them so that at least they can sit down. You'd be surprised how many spaces people in larger bodies don't fit when they go to a restaurant booth, when they go sit on the subway or the bus, when they go to a theater, when they get on an airplane. And so don't make your space another place that they don't fit. And really ask them about their experiences with fitness. Has it been positive? Has it been negative? When it was positive, what was positive about it? How can I best serve you? I'm here to be, you know, you've hired me. Um, There tends to be this hierarchy in a client to trainer relationship. And it's kind of an unspoken hierarchy. And it's coming from the client as well as the trainer, that that person knows more than me, because they're in this type of body, they obviously know way more than I do and have more experience. But also to understand that when you hire somebody to come and clean your gutters, there's no hierarchy it's like this and you tell the person what the job is that you want and you pay them. That's it. So remember that you're the boss. Mm. You're the boss. You're the one that's hiring the individual and you need to tell them what you need. I hear so many stories of people in all body sizes, really, because of that dynamic 
of them just going with the flow of what the trainer wanted to do and not feeling like they had the opportunity to actually say, no, I, I'm actually not here to, to lose weight. I actually just wanted to learn to lift weights. Yes. Could we just focus on that as the program? But actually they've given me a meal plan now and now I feel like I have to do this. And yes. all of a sudden I'm taking progress photos and doing check-ins that I never signed up for. It's never my intention of what I wanted to do. And yet I've ended up there because that was the assumption. And I think there's not, that the client doesn't feel empowered enough to say, actually, I don't want to do that. They have to go with go with whatever the trainer wanted. And I know that certainly in early in my career, that probably was the dynamic. Like I'm the trainer, I know you best. And so much of what I do with my intuitive movement clients is really empower them to say exactly that. You're in charge, you're doing the hiring. I remember reading in your book, um, Big Fit Girl, the idea that when you go in for that consultation with a potential trainer, you're interviewing them. This Mm -hmm. isn't whether they like you. Do you like them? Are they a good fit for you? And I always, yeah, took that on board as a trainer and also now to empower the people to say, you need to go in there and, you know, they're working for you. Yeah. Not the other way around. And yet it feels like often, and I wonder if you have this dynamic and I hear it certainly in gyms, you know, where you don't want to tell the trainer that you had a pizza at the weekend or you had a few (laughs) drinks and you go in very sheepishly. Like I remember working in a gym and this, this client sheepishly telling their trainer that they ate pizza, but they didn't have any cheese on it. So it wasn't so bad. But that the, the, the trainer was like, well, you know what we have to do now then, don't we? We have to go and do burpees and that was yeah that was the conversation and thinking like you're not the boss of this person no (laughs) this is not how this works no and yet there's such intimidation there really and also why are we being punitive about eating you know like why are we creating that punitive relationship with exercise I I've also had a lot of people say that during the 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 training, the workout, that they were being pushed way beyond. Yes. What the, and so it was like the trainer was delivering their own workout, not in any way considering the fitness level. And then I actually just, I never train people anymore in person. And I just trained my doctor of all people. And she said, I couldn't walk for days after this. And it was a big, reputable chain gym. And again, the the trainer just not having... the the right training not having the right education to understand how many people work in this industry and I see it with content online like Instagram fitness videos of like this is a beginner workout I'm like this ain't beginner (laughs) your version if you're a very fit person and you've been working in industry for a very long time and you have been working out in a certain way for a long time your idea of what is beginner what is intermediate and what is advanced is extremely skewed to that of the general population. Yes. And it kills me. These are not beginner workouts. These are, n- are in no way beginner friendly to start doing, say, a burpee. Like, where's the modification? <laughs> it's a bit egotistical to think that your workout is the baseline, right? Mm. I mean, that's where we have to come back to that lived experience. And I know I keep saying it over and over and over again, but that's where, you know, one of the one of the parts of the curriculum is doing an intake because we we kind of have these standard intakes that are, they don't ask the right questions. Mm. Like, can you get up and down off the floor comfortably? Can you walk a flight of stairs? Can you, you know, what do you have any eating disorder history? Not that I'm going to fix it, but I need to be aware of it. Understanding that people are coming from Moving their bodies is not just this whimsical thing that people do. It's it's quite a thing that is attached to so much more. So we mm-hmm. really need to understand that there is trauma in people just moving their bodies. And that trauma comes from elementary school, high school. I don't know what you call it here, but those the school system where people are pushed really hard or they're pushed by parents and or they've been, you know, going to weight loss programs since they were eight years old. They've been told that their bodies weren't good enough. And or they go into a gym space and they're just pulverized by the trainer and they, you know, can't walk for days. And what do they do with that information? They internalize it as I'm fat, I'm a failure, I'm worthless, I'm not valuable. They internalize that weight bias. So that's where this trauma experience comes from. And so when people think, 
oh, you know, it's just moving your body, we're just going to go lift some weights or whatever. For a lot of people, and I'm talking millions of people, it is so much more than that. And you really do need to know what you're getting into as far as how to deal with that to be trauma informed, to be to have some education on disordered eating and disordered exercise, not that we're going to fix it, because that's not our job, but to be informed of what could be at play. If there was some sort of screening for that, because my goodness, I think that would be huge. That would be so beneficial if people, like you say, were asking those basic questions initially, you know, in that first consultation. However, I also think there are, like I said, a lot of people working in the industry with their own history with Mm -hmm. disordered eating, disordered exercise. Mm -hmm. And therefore what they consider disordered is could be their norm, you know, and Mm -hmm. often, and I'm sure you've had a lot of it through the testimonials you've heard from people that often the trainers are the one encouraging the disordered relationship with food and exercise. And often that's where a lot of it can be traced back to. Uh, I do a lot of work with people and we we timeline their journey mm. with movement. And it always gets to their 20s and some trainer in some gym told them that they had to work at X amount of times a week, do this program for how many days they needed to do this plan and, you know, do this diet. And that was the thing. And like you say, there's they carry scars from that. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a lot that has to be discussed and we you know we talk about it we we try and kind of peel back the layers of that yeah. and it's hard for people and like you say there's a trauma there yeah and i think for most people who have you know a lot of people work in the fitness industry maybe they were sporty kids ended up training you know there's that route into it there wasn't my route into it my route into it was i lost a ton of weight started compulsively exercising essentially and thought well if i can do it you can do it too yeah there's a lot of those people in there. there's a lot of them <laughs> and there's a lot of people there so you've got sporty people who've been sporty their whole lives and then you've got a ton of people who have had this personal quote success and feel like then all of a sudden they're an expert yeah and you're not hearing about all those other people who've been completely let down on that journey or have had a really, who found PE at school extremely tough and challenging and, you know, were the odd ones out, last ones to be picked and all of that stuff. You don't hear those stories. Um, And so those, and those people certainly aren't working in the industry. So you're right. But where are those, where's the empathy for that? Yeah. I think that a lot of people approach exercise with a lot of shame. Mm. And shame, if you know, you can empathize or relate to, is not a good feeling to to be going into spaces where you're supposed to feel empowered. And often what happens is the shame is reinforced. And, you know, what you're saying about this timeline with the trainer that has told them about these methods to be healthy and fit our society backs it up. Oh, validated a million percent by magazines, media, movies, people in their life. And so you go with it. That's the thing, you go with it. And you know, a lot of what I do is help people trust themselves and help people kind of reconnect with almost their gut instinct around Mm -hmm. movement and understand what do you want? What do you feel? How does your body physically feel? How do you want to engage with movement rather than going, I have to do all these things because everyone said that's what I should be doing. Yeah. What do I want to do? And those are two very different things. Yeah. And yet, God, there are so many shoulds, aren't there? Yeah, we de- we definitely talk about that pre-programming when you ask clients what their goals are is often I found as a trainer that they were they were programmed that 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 it wasn't authentic and it wasn't that the client was trying to lie it was that it was like this kind of brainwashing of our system that was like i don't know to lose weight and it would almost be like this question like cuz again that hierarchy they would be looking to me to tell them and um i would often move to what i call backdoor goal setting cuz people sometimes don't really know what they want, but they definitely know what they don't want. Mm. And you can say, what what are some things that no longer work for you in your life? And they can articulate that very quickly. But when you're asking them to tell them what their goals are, it's often something that doesn't 
quite or they don't know because they've lived in this such programmed society that it's supposed to be this. Mm. What are what's the next phase for the Size Inclusive Training Academy? I personally want to vote for bringing it to the UK <laughs> and getting it accredited here. I know several people in the UK who have already done your course. We've had a couple of people be guests on our podcast as well. Oh wow! Um, we had Kim, who's uh, owns Body Image Fitness. I know she did your did it virtually. Um, but we need it over here. You have to, you have to come back and do it in person. I really would love to come back to the UK. As you know, I'm from the UK. We've just been working with getting into, into the un, the universities at, in the US. So we're just starting to work with a couple of university in the kinesiology departments. And I want to move it into the social justice departments too, because I do believe that this is really a social justice issue. When we create these barriers for people to access health and fitness, there becomes a health disparity and an inequity for people in larger bodies to have access to the same health. Um, so I do believe that there's a social, social justice issue there as well. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm going next is to get it into as many hands as possible. And, you know, there was this period there where I felt a bit deflated about it. We spent so much time working on it. And then the response was, yeah, the people that are already bought in are buying in. But that's a very small percentage of the fitness industry. So I want to make it more mainstream and try to get into it into the, as many hands as possible. Well, we're, I, I'm going to be right there behind you championing it. I know that the people listening to this podcast are probably more receptive than most. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, tell a friend, recommend yeah. people, you know, have you tried taking, are you being size inclusive as well? Because I think especially like post 2020, a lot of talk about racism and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's on people's minds. Yeah. And yet so often I think when it comes to uh, weight discrimination and anti-fat bias, that is the last part of the conversation. Like I think that still hasn't even made its way fully into the mainstream of progressive spaces. I think that that's, you know, there's still a lot of work there to be done first of like people really getting it them because like they can get on board with like yeah we need gender equality and we need racial equality and ableism's a thing and all these things and then it's like oh yeah and then there's this whole then there's all these people who are also experiencing these biases like but also it's kind of an afterthought in some ways or still very much i mean you know in the last i'd say three years most big companies employed or trained up a diversity, equity and inclusion person within the business. But that doesn't I've looked at all the education for DEI, none of it talks about size or weight, none of it. So when we're talking about diversity, equity and inclusion, we are talking about all the things that you just mentioned, we are never talking about weight or mm. size in the education that's provided. Um, yet, it's a very marginalized population. So it's one of the biggest populations that still have are discriminated against and marginalized, but yet not talked about it. And I think that that's because we live in this weight bias society that believes that this is a choice. Yes. It's your fault. You're if in control. You, if you don't like it, then do something about it. Yeah. And it's frustrating because I think a lot of people living in larger bodies have tried to do something about it. And I think it's only actually, I think, probably increased their experience of weight bias, increased their maybe physical discomfort in a way. Because we know that when you're stuck in the diet cycle, mm -hmm. we know that with weight cycling, often people will lose the weight and then regain more and a bit. Mm -hmm. And then if you go through that several times, you, you know, you're, you're stuck on this kind of upward trajectory that actually is completely counterintuitive to this idea that you're just in control. You can, you just need to eat less, move more. It's as easy as that. And you know what, thinking of that phrase, eat less, move more, and what you've been saying today, it's exactly that, isn't it? The fitness industry thinks that is all that people need to do. Yep. And they just need to move more. And yet people think that's a really simple thing. Everyone's got a pair of trainers. Everyone can get outside. Okay, well, do they have the active wear to wear? Are they able to go outside and walk, run without 
hearing people shout abuse at them. I think mm -hmm. that's where there's a ignorance yeah. to other people's experiences. Because if you live in a straight sized body, you know, you haven't had that, then how you wouldn't know that it's not as simple as eat less, move more. It's really not from the lived experience perspective, but also from the metabolic experience, mm. right? Like, there are people that just that's not how their body works. They don't. And, you know, that's a whole other scientific mm. podcast. But I mean, exactly what you were saying that people say, well, I was able to do it. So please start thinking about the world outside of yourself. Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't like because you've had this experience doesn't mean that that's what everyone else is having. And to your point, all the barriers that people have to get through just to be able to feel safe and exercise, that they're not going to be filmed, that they're not mm. going to end up on social media, that they're not, you know, that they will have the clothes, that the trainer won't pulverize them so they can't walk for days on end, you know, that people will approach them with an open mind, you know, all of these things, they stack up over time. And that's what creates that trauma experience where they don't want to do it. Because even people who are well-meaning you know, good for you. Yeah. Good for you for coming here and doing that workout. Well done. Yeah. Keep going. You can do it. Like, it's so <laughs> unbelievably patronizing. Yeah. And so, like you say, that's, and that seems to be like a really nice thing that people are doing. Yeah. And yet it's so loaded with, a, the assumption of why you think someone is in the gym working out. If you've ever seen a person in a bigger body working out for whatever reason, you thought, good for you. Like, oh, wow, yeah. they're really doing something about it. What is, what are they doing something about what? Yeah. And recognize what that bias is because yeah. it's exactly that. Oh, they're doing something to lose weight. Or yeah, exactly. What is, what is so inspirational about this person? Mm. Because I think the question to ask is, would I say that to a thin person? Yeah. Like, would I congratulate a thin person for being in the gym? Would I congratulate a thin person for, you know, running a 5K? Maybe, but not usually. No. And I always remember reading in your book as well that when you were in your running phase, um, that you were entering these races and wanting to run like the 10K or the half marathon and people going, like, so you're here for the 5K? Yeah. And you're like, no, I've actually, I've, I've done quite a few races now and uh, yeah. I'm here, for, I'm quite, a, I'm a seasoned runner. But the assumptions there, you know, yeah. we need to stop that. That's, these are things, and like I say, I think a lot of people, when they're saying these things, they're not coming with intentionally being rude. There's, I don't think there's often um, rudeness there, or, you know, I think, like you say, a lot of these people are like, good for you, and oh, you're doing the 5K, well done. Like, it's all very well-meaning, but it's in, you know, impact over intention, isn't it? I think, you know, when I get irritated by those kind of comments, I have to bring myself back to we all live in the same condition society and people are coming to the table with what they think is normal and acceptable, which it is in our society, but it shouldn't be. And I think that, you know, podcasts like this and the books that we've written and the many other authors out there that are writing on the same topic bring to the table awareness. It's like when you know better, we should do better. Absolutely. Know better, do better, be better because you are changing the game, Louise. And I'm so inspired and encouraged by what you do. And I think it's just brilliant. And I'm so glad we've had got to meet in person. It's yeah. been amazing. Before we finish, I have to ask you, what has been your most recent train happy moment? My most recent train happy moment. I mean, I am training in Olympic weightlifting right now. And I... I love it. I just love it. I love pushing weight over my head and hit a few PRs in the last little while. So that's really my train happy moment. I actually listened back to our episode and that I think last time you were saying a similar thing, like you just got into it and three years later, you're still loving it. Yeah, I love it. Louise, this has been an absolute joy. I have loved chatting with you in person I feel like we are so on the same page and like I said you are a true trailblazer in this industry and I really look to you as someone doing doing it you know you you have these ideas and you execute and it's really cool really really cool thank you um so 
everyone you need to check out louise where can they find you where can they read your books where can they do your workouts where can they sign up to the size inclusive training academy so for the size inclusive training academy we are at sizeinclusivetraining.com um most of my work is you'll find it on instagram louise green big fit girl or bigfitgirl.com amazing you'll get everything there you yeah. do so many things yeah so there's something <laughs> too many for everyone. things i think <laughs> it's impressive but it that is, is impressive have the most amazing podcast. time thank on the rest of your so trip in the UK. thank you thank you it's I been great you to be here away from this episode and if you did please do let us know on social media you can find us on instagram at train happy podcast and we do want to hear from you we want your questions we want to hear your train happy moments and we'd love to feature you as train happy trooper of the week so remember you can get in touch with us via our whatsapp it is 07599927537 and whatever podcast platform you're choosing to listen to us on please rate and review it really helps the show and it really helps spread the train a happy message and that is it for this week i'll be back with a brand new episode for you next monday see you then Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.